In this edition of the Passion to Action series, you'll meet Rhonda Forrester, a licensed civil and environmental engineer with CV and Mahar Engineers in Cumberland, Maine. Rhonda is a volunteer with the Girl Scouts of Maine, focusing on one of the four key areas in the girls' leadership experience. Science, technology, engineering, and math also known as STEM. Rhonda has practiced engineering for 18 years and has experience working on a variety of landfill and wastewater projects. Her daily tasks vary and include updating project budgets, reviewing construction drawings, writing reports, preparing calculations, and spending time at construction sites. She grew up in New York City and has lived in Westbrook, Maine for 13 years. She volunteers with Girl Scouts, Discover Downtown Westbrook, and Portland Trails. She enjoys spending time outdoors, hula hooping, knitting, grilling, and container gardening. We'll be discussing why Rhonda loves what she does her passion for sharing STEM and her knowledge with girls, the variety of careers available, the financial security it offers, and why it's so important for more girls to be going into STEM. Welcome to a Passion to Action edition of the Daughters of Change podcast, where you'll hear the stories of young women who have turned their passion into action through Girl Scouting. Encouraged and prepared through the Girl Scout leadership experience to imagine solutions and chase innovation where others only see challenges, these girls are exploring their big ideas with freedom and flexibility. They are motivated to build things from scratch, unleash their potential, and lead us toward the answers our future requires. Prepare yourselves to be amazed. Before we get started, a special thanks and a big shout out to our collaboration partners for the Passion to Action campaign. The Girl Scouts of Maine, building girls of courage, confidence, and character who make the world a better place. And First National Bank and First National Wealth Management serving Maine from 17 branches along the coast and inland in Bangor. Dream first, our best days are ahead. Rhonda, welcome to the Daughters of Change podcast. How are you today? Doing great. Thank you. I'm very glad to be here. Yeah, we're glad to have you. This is really, I'm really excited to talk to you about STEM because I think it's so important for girls and young women to learn more about STEM and realize that it's not as mystifying as maybe we're led to believe it is as girls or that it's something that women and girls don't excel at, right? Yes. Yeah. So you're proof of that. We know that's not true. So there. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) And and Rhonda, I, um, you know, read your background, your bio background in the intro, but tell us something about yourself that we didn't learn in that introduction. So I would say one thing about myself that wasn't in the intro is that I actually really also love the arts and musicals and music. Um, it's not something that I excel at, so I could not really make it into a hobby or a living. But I grew up in New York City, so going to musicals was something I got to do a lot. And to this day, I love like making up poems and stories, and I do a lot of singing and dancing. Um, it's the kind of thing that I find to be a lot of fun, but I also recognize that it's not anything that can go anywhere. But that is like one of those like things that I love. And I actually, I was too shy as a, when I was a kid to take dance classes. So I ran track and did that, which was great. But in adulthood, I actually started taking um, hip hop dance classes. And so I had a performance before COVID. I had my first ever like performance, um, a dance performance. And that was a lot of fun. It was a great group of women and some guys. And so it was neat to pursue that as an adult. Good for you. I love that you took the class and you went out there and you had a recital. I mean, who says like who says you can't do it? 
Exactly. And by the way, if you like to write stories, there's always a place for you on the Daughters of Change blog. So oh, right. just keep that in mind. Good to know. Good yeah. To but know. I love that you're out there uh, pursuing that, you know, and and yeah, that's great. I love that you took the classes. That's that's really fun. I want, So when, when we get a little more post-COVID-y, you're going to have to teach me some hip hop moves. Oh, totally. Yeah. You totally also have well. to, I, I have a goal that for my, by my next birthday, I can hula hoop again. So we're going to have to talk about that as well. Okay. Yeah. So I'm, no. ju- I'm just putting you on notice, girl. Definitely. I have like 12 plus hoops at home. So I'm happy to share. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. I really, I was so surprised I couldn't do it anymore. I don't know if anybody else out there has found the same thing that you, like you could hula hoop like anything when you were a kid. And now you try and you're like, oh my God, like what's wrong with me? I'm, I'm, I'm like a fish trying to do this. I'm like no. a fish trying to ride a bicycle, right? Oh, no, no. Just and, a little practice, a little practice. Yeah, there you go. It's all, yeah, determination and practice, right? Exactly, exactly. Now, I'm really curious uh, also, Rhonda, how did you get involved in engineering? And what college path did you follow? So my involvement with engineering started when I was in high school. I had a chemistry teacher, Mr. McMullen, and in addition to being my teacher, he also was the advisor for science fair projects, and we were all required to do them for school, so that's how I got to know him. But then he knew of several local science fairs and nationwide science fairs that he would encourage us to enter. So through my involvement with that and working with him, we were sitting down one day, and he said to me, you know, you should really think about being an engineer. And around that time, I was trying to think of what I wanted to do. I think I might have been a sophomore or junior in high school. I needed to know what I was going to be applying to college for. And I used to go to the library after school and read books on engineering. And once he said that, I started taking a look at it. I realized, actually, that is a really good fit. It involves math and science. But then growing up in New York City, I used to see a lot of buildings and bridges and construction and just realizing that, wait, engineering is also that. It's people working on designs, figuring out what's the best way to put something together, and then working together with their hands to do it. So kind of having that push from my chemistry teacher and then seeing it around me kind of helped me realize, okay, that's what I want to do. And then when I got to college at Carnegie Mellon, where I went to school, you weren't allowed to declare your major until sophomore year. So if you were in the School of Engineering, you were required to take an intro class that wasn't the major you thought you wanted to specialize in. So I took civil as my first intro, loved it, knew, okay, this is great. And then I took mechanical engineering, Also really liked it, but I found there were some elements of civil that just came easier to me that I just enjoyed more. Like I really just enjoyed the fact that with civil engineering, you were out in the environment and you were working a lot with different people, different groups. And while mechanical engineering was cool, I I kind of envisioned myself designing like copiers and cars. I just didn't quite feel that push or that pull. So that's what made me choose engineering or civil engineering. And then In college, one nice thing about being an engineer is your classes are pretty prescribed and laid out for you. So when you go there, you may have a few electives to decide on, but for the most part, you have to take the classes in a certain order. So that kind of helped a lot in the sense that it eliminates the question of like, what, how do I get there? What do I do? It's laid out for you. So you just go through the coursework and then you graduate. Usually along the way, like I did an internship during one of my years, and that provided some real-world experience, and most of my peers did that as well. So um, the college path usually involves some work at a company, just so you can really see how your coursework really applies to the real world. And first of all, big shout out to, did you say it was Mr. McMullen? Yes. Hey, big shout out, Mr. McMullen, for encouraging a young woman to get involved in STEM, like seeing her talent. So good for you. And it's really also... Um, nice that before you actually declared your major, they had you try a couple of different classes and that because you really, you don't know, like when you first go to college and you pick a major, you think, you know, but sometimes you get into it or after you get out of it, you're realizing, oh my God, like, I don't really like this. So it's great that you had, that it's laid out in a way that you can look at sort of different types of, in this case, engineering from the beginning with your classes, but then doing those real world internships, because, you know, that's something you don't get in the classroom. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, seeing how the theory that you learn in the class while relevant, isn't necessarily used every day and really the the skills that you need to use every day. um, Definitely eye opening. Yeah. Yeah. Really good. And I can tell you love your job. 
I'm, you know, can see Rhonda while I'm talking to her right now. But even when we talked before um, on Zoom, it's written all over your face. So why do you love your job so much? I, there are several reasons. So one is the variety. In any given day, every day is a little different. While I know I'm going to cover the same general task, the order is going to be different. The amount of time I spend is different. I could be in the office. I could be outside. So I just like the variety that it provides. It's also challenging and provides opportunity for learning. I'm a project manager. I've been in this position for about three years. And so it's my job to make sure the client is getting the answers to questions that they've asked us in a timely fashion. But I can tell you that I am the youngest person or one of the youngest people on my team, probably the least experienced. So I don't know everything. And so often the client will ask a question and then I'll go to the team and say, okay, what exactly is this? And so, and I love that. I love you know, it doesn't feel great. It definitely feels awkward when you're like, oh, I don't know, and I have to figure it out. But it feels really good at the end when I can say, okay, I didn't know that before, and now I know it now, and now I can explain it to the client, and they understand it. So constantly learning, constantly being challenged, which just kind of helps keep everything interesting. Um, then another reason is the people. I love the people I work with. We collaborate a lot. We have a great environment and a great sort of understanding of how we all work together Often you're working on a design and you'll have a question and it's a question where if you can just get an answer, it'll allow you to move on and complete the next phase. And so in general, we're just used to at some point through the day, you know, someone's going to stop by or you're going to stop by someone's desk and you're going to have a five to 10 minute conversation. But we recognize the importance of collaboration and sharing. And so I love the team I work with. I really enjoy the client I work with and just watching them deal with their problems and how they go through and then the people that I've met just through professional associations, as a civil engineer especially, it's a very small group, especially here in Maine. We kind of all indirectly know each other. And so it's been great to have opportunities at conferences and other events to get to meet these people, hear the things they're working on, hear some of their stories, and, and kind of learn from them. So um, there's that. And then I would say the last thing for me that I love is how it's helped me understand the world around me and how it relates to the world around me. As a civil engineer and the clients that we work for, one of the biggest challenges for us is managing stormwater or rainwater, making sure that when it rains, it doesn't lead to erosion, you know, it's not causing contamination to spread. And so it's neat for me when I'm driving around, for example, and I'm seeing different natural features like, oh, okay, that's doing that and that's doing that and understanding why things are in place. So I find having to see just how we do things at construction sites makes you realize Similar things are happening around construction sites all over the nation, and there's that connection between us all. And how wonderful to be in a job where you're continuously learning because, you know, from the outside looking in, it sounds like that isn't something that goes away because every project is going to be different, right? So you're always, something could come up that even people that have been there many more years than you haven't heard of. So that that excitement and opportunity to learn every day as opposed to doing something rote over and over again. Yes. Really? Yes. Yeah. Cause I, I can tell why you why you love your job. I mean it, it it I mean not I can tell I can see why. It it makes a lot of sense, really. Yeah. You mentioned at the beginning that one of the things you really like, I think it was the first point you made, was that you're doing a variety of different things every day. Can you break that down for us a little bit more and tell us what are some of those things? I know you don't have like a typical day where it's the same thing, but what what would some of those things look like that you'd be doing? So my days kind of fall into two categories. I have office days and then I have field days. In a general office day, usually there are meetings. I mentioned the collaboration that we do, which are those like 10-minute meetings There'll be some of those, but then often we'll have meetings scheduled to really dig into problems or talk through things. So usually in a day, I'll have a meeting with people that I work with or with clients or with the regulators that oversee the work we do. Lots of phone calls to different people, vendors, if I'm trying to learn something new or just checking up on things. So there's a lot of speaking on the phone. And then a lot of the information that we generate, the way we communicate that to our clients and to other people is in written form. So I spend a lot of time working on emails, memos, and letters, depending on the complexity of the information and getting that out. So the written is very important as an engineer, just making sure you can communicate clearly and effectively. And so I do a lot of that. And along the lines of kind of information sharing, 
I often, I mean, I work on a team of about 15 to 20 people. So often I'm getting information and I have to always think, okay, who else needs to know this? So there's a lot of kind of pausing and taking a minute to think about where I need to send the information or where I needed to file it for later. That's part of my day. As a project manager, I deal a lot with schedules and budgets. So spend some time constantly checking on schedules to see if we're going to make our targets. And then I spend a lot more time working on budgets and just making sure that as we are completing our task, we're doing it in an efficient way, making sure that we haven't run up against something that's taking more time than we thought that might cause us to go over budget. So a lot of time looking at budgets. And then lastly, reviewing different designs and construction drawings and also preparing designs and construction drawings. And when I say preparing a design, that could be everything from maybe drawing a sketch of something that we think the contractor needs to build. It could be doing a calculation to demonstrate that what we're proposing is going to work and it meets regulatory standards. So it's doing any number of things to really show what we're proposing gets built and proving that it makes sense and it's going to work. So it sounds like you've got the best of all worlds there because you're in the office, you know, there's meetings and correspondence, yet you also go out into the field to the construction sites. So you get out of the office, right? Yeah. But there's something I heard in there is the creative part. And you said at the beginning how much you love art, but you're actually doing uh, drawings, you, you were talking about drawing something out or sketching something out or whether you're using CAD programs. There's a creative element to that. Oh, there definitely is. And I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because that was one thing I also wanted to mention. The designs we work on, the creativity comes into play because there's always a little difference. Like a lot of the rules that, or the designs we put together, they're based on regulations that have been set by the Department of Environmental Protection. So we can't deviate from that too much. But even though we're at the same site and we're just doing different phases, the geology is always changing, the topography is always changing. So even though it's the same, you have to often think about how do we approach things. And the creative element comes in a lot because often our client will come to us and say, okay, I have this problem and we can't do A, B, or C because I've already run through those options and they are not available to us. So then we quite often have to take a step back and go, okay, what are they trying to achieve what are the ways we can get there and then rule out options? So sometimes a little brainstorming and just throwing things out there to see what sticks and then really, you know, diving into decisions after that. But it does require a fair amount of creativity and both trusting the experience you have and what you've done and those things that you know work, but also knowing that well enough and being comfortable enough with that, that you can then apply kind of different new things to it or look at it in a new way. And I, well, and I also just wanted to add to just talk a little bit about the construction days, because those days, like you said, those are great. Out of the office, which is always fun to take a little bit of a field trip. But it's always great, too, to get to the job site and actually see construction process and see how we build things. On a paper, when you're looking at a drawing, you just see all the lines which represent pipes, and you'll see lines that represent what we call contour lines of the topography, which is basically just how the, the slope or the ground surface changes in elevation. But when you're on a site and you really see how things are put together and you really see what the challenges are, it's very helpful. And often being on a job site and seeing what's working both well and not well helps with future designs because then then at that point you can say, okay, that didn't work last time. Let's find a different way to do that. And so it provides a whole other level of information. You're seeing your projects come to life. Yes. And there are also times when you see something get built and you're like, it looks exactly like the paper. And it's kind of that feeling of like, wow. (laughs) So it's really neat. (laughs) Yeah, exciting. And so I guess for people that think engineering is just all black and white and no coloring outside of the lines. Ding dong, you're wrong, exactly. right? It's like, it's, exactly. <laughs> it's funny how we have those perceptions. Oh, yeah. Of, of, you know, what a career entails or a job. So, yeah, there you have it. That That is, yeah. yeah. That sounds like a lot of fun, actually. It really it Sounds like, it yeah, really fulfilling, is. too. Yeah. Yeah. No, it really is. And what made you decide to get involved with the Girl Scouts, Rhonda? So, for me, it was the result of a kind of a, a class I was taking. So growing up, I grew up in New York City, and I did a lot of programs. And I always, I, I volunteered a lot growing up, especially in high school. That was something that was kind of a, just a part of what I did. I did some in college and in grad school. But then once I started working, kind of in my 20s and early 30s, I took a pause from that, or took a break from that. 
And then I, so I worked for a few years and then I actually went, I started getting my MBA and then I went back um, for my final semester of my MBA. I did that full time. So at that point I wasn't working. I was just a full time student doing research. So I had a lot of time to really dig into my classes. And the final class I took was a course on creative problem solving. And we all had different problems. And my problem was, what am I going to do after I get this degree? Because at that point, I was teaching engineering, but I wasn't sure if I wanted to continue teaching or go back to practicing. And through that course and the reflection that course, I started, you had to do a lot of reflecting on what mattered to you and what you wanted your life to look like, what you wanted to bring into your life. And I started remembering the volunteering that I used to do and thinking, like, that's something I would like to get back involved with. And our final assignment, we had to create a 24-hour action plan where you had to list several goals and then follow through. So if you wanted to mentor or, do, you know, I think one of my goals was mentoring. And so I had, I had to identify a book. And then I identified volunteering. And so I had to reach out to someone to volunteer. And I'd been thinking about different groups that I wanted to be involved with. But the Girl Scouts, for me, just really resonated as a young woman who was trying to kind of get back into engineering and um, just my experience with organizations. I wasn't a Girl Scout growing up, but I feel like I knew enough about Girl Scouts that I thought it would be great to connect with them. So I reached out to the coordinator and she got back to me and that was, I think, 2013. And we've been, it was uh, December 2013. I actually checked my email to confirm that this morning and I've been volunteering with them ever since. Yeah, what a great organization. I have to tell you, I, I wasn't a Girl Scout either when I was young. Um, and I, I have to be honest, I had a little bit of a preconceived notion based on, like, I won't tell you how many years ago that was. <laughs> so it's part of it was that, you know, the time yeah. that I was young. But I was blown away. And I think I have said this multiple times on this podcast and on the lives I do. I have been so blown away by how relevant the Girl Scouts have become and the programs for these girls and the mentors like yourself, you know, that are working with them. And oh, my God, I, I really wish that when I was younger and maybe the Girl Scout experience was a little bit more like that. The world wasn't like that. But I wish there had been something like the program now when mm -hmm. I was young because it would have made all the difference in the world. Oh, yeah. I mean, I see the girls that I work with, just they range in ages, but just to see the connections they make and as we're doing workshops, just what they're coming up with and to also see how you can see the empowerment in them. I've done workshops that there were multiple levels. And I remember one where like the older girls were kind of doing their thing and then you could see them have this realization of like, oh wait, we have younger girls here. And they all switched into mentor mode and they were engaging the younger girls and it was just so great to see that. Yeah, it's a really, really wonderful, wonderful organization. And I've had so much fun learning myself about what they're doing, but meeting everybody, the volunteers and the the girls. Oh my God, incredible, right? Oh. Yes. Totally. Oh, yeah. And what oh. do you really hope that the girls learn about STEM as you're mentoring them through this process? I am hoping that they're taking away the fact that, first of all, it's a lot of fun. It's really interesting. You know, it can be an exciting field for them to get involved with. But then also that it's very accessible and doable, that it doesn't have to be really complicated and making a robot. It could be as simple as looking at the water and identifying if there's like tadpoles or sediment or just kind of the basic health of the water, or just even thinking about, you know, like simple machines, for example, and how a ramp works versus a wedge and just seeing how it relates to the world around us. I, I think that's really the big thing for me is just if they can just take what we do in our workshops and realize this relates to a lot of the stuff that I do every day, if I can continue this if I want to, that's kind of what I hope they get out of it. And do you have to be like this big old math whiz to do engineering and to do STEM? Not at all. I mean, you definitely have to have an understanding of it, but you do not have to be an expert by any means. And also the math that you need will vary depending on the field of engineering you go into. Um, I, I can tell you for me as a civil and environmental engineer, the math that is most important is geometry because we're always dealing with 3D spaces. So understanding that algebra and kind of just basic, you know, order of operations, addition, subtraction, when I'm dealing with budgets is actually one of the biggest things I use. So those, I would say, you have to understand it, but not be a, a whiz at any means or by any means. And 
as you go through your degree, you are required to take some higher level math classes. Like you will have to take calculus and maybe some advanced calculus courses. But again, as someone who is working now, I, like if I could go back to younger Rhonda, I would say don't panic at the understanding. Just make sure you understand the theory. Because really when we're using math, it's less about, you know, you yourself having to come up with formulas or theories. All of that have, has been done. And often we're using resources that have it built in. It's really just understanding if you have like X plus Y, understanding, okay, well, we're adding them together. So what does that mean? What's their relationship? If I get an answer, what does that mean based on the input? So with, you really use math to help you interpret answers, but the getting to the answer, you will be guided. There are tools to help you. So as long as you understand the theory, if you feel like you can't always execute it, that's okay. As you get into your career, you talk to people and everyone has a horror story about a math class they had to take in college. It's just, it's almost what binds us together as engineers is those math classes. So as long as you stick with it, you will be fine. Yeah, 100%. So what are some of the mindsets and skill sets that you feel are important for, um, you know, a young woman or a person thinking that they want to get into STEM or engineering? I would say the two things I would recommend or say you really need to have is you need to be curious. Because I mentioned, as we've talked about, it's a lot of learning. So you have to be curious. You have to be kind of questioning what you're seeing and interested to learn the answer and willing to stick with it to learn the answer. And along with that is you have to be persistent because sometimes it's going to take a while to get to the answer. Sometimes it's not going to feel good and you're going to really feel like you're out of your element, but you have to just trust that you can get there and stick with it. And I've, in my career and talking to like my supervisors and other folks, that's kind of the two things that we generally say we're looking for um, and that work. And when we look for new hires, that's actually the curiosity is something we always like to see. If someone asks questions and they just show they have a curiosity about things, not even an understanding, but the curiosity, that is one of the greatest mindsets we like to see. Yeah. So curious and tenacious. Yes. That's like a really good name for either a movie or a play or a story or a band. Uh, yes, <laughs> exactly. So, <laughs> exactly. That, that was one of my squirrel moments. That's what my husband and son call it when I do that. Like I just go off on it. They're like, huh? Where'd you go? So that was that was Marie being in a squirrel moment. <laughs> we all have them. All of us. Curious and tenacious. That's what we need. And what are the, the I know there's a lot. So I'm not, you know, you don't have to answer all this, but what are some of the college majors that are available within, you know, engineering or STEM as a whole? So um, within engineering, you'll have different types of disciplines. So there's chemical and chemical engineers look at how things are put together, whether it's your food or your packaging, mechanical, they look at, you know, like cars and any basic anything that moves is mechanical. There's robotics, computers, electrical, nuclear, structural, so there's a lot, and there's a lot of overlap between them as well. Like, I'm a civil environmental, but I work alongside people who are chemical, and so again, putting things together, and mechanical, and we all work on similar projects, and we can offer, we all have similar strengths. So there are a lot of different disciplines, but you will find some overlap between them. So that's, that's on the engineering side. But then if you're looking at STEM, you can start getting into more computer programming, looking, especially in this day and age with the data, there are degrees where people are doing data analysis and just understanding how do you analyze data? How do you keep track of data? So what's the best way when you have lots of data to store it? Is it a database? Is it something different? So working with data is another STEM degree that you can look into. I'd say those are the ones that I can think, like often think of. So there, there's a lot of different ways to get involved. And like you said, there is that overlap. So even if you are, like you said, you have that, the environmental as well, right? So you could ha you could go down one path. There's overlap, but you could be learning about more in your job. Yes, never a dull moment, right? It, is networking important for people that want to get involved in a STEM career? I think it's important. It's by no means a necessity, and there are many people who make it. But I find networking just gives you a little bit of an advantage. It allows you to meet people who are also in your field, and you never know when that's going to come in handy, be it in terms of a job or just a reference for another job or even potential work for you know, a project or for the company you're working at. 
And because engineering is such a small field, again, especially in Maine, especially as a civil engineer, having networking and just knowing the other people out there is just really beneficial. I know personally, not to discount my own merits, but I will say that my network has definitely helped me throughout my career. There have been plenty of jobs that I've gone for. And just having someone that can say, hey, I know her, kind of gives your resume a second look. And sometimes that's really all you need if you're going in you know, with nothing else and you're with a bunch of candidates and you all sort of look the same and you've done well. So it's something that I think definitely is advantageous. And personally, networking has been great for me just because you talked about just how with the overlap with the field, so many times you network and you meet someone who does something maybe a little different, but it kind of opens your eyes to something that you might want to pursue or see or be interested in. So it can have many personal and professional benefits. Oh, 100%. And and I think even when you're young and in college still to network in terms of, um, you know, getting that internship and networking to get the internship, but then networking while you're in the internship, right? Yes. And I would say too, for young folks, it's almost, you don't really see that a lot, the networking. So if you're in college or going into college or high school student and you do that, that makes you really stand out because it shows that you're willing to put yourself out there and that doesn't happen a lot, especially kind of in those age groups, because it takes a while usually to get to the point where you're comfortable with it. I'll be honest, I wasn't really actively thinking about networking until I started working. So, but I can see now how it would have been great if I had a bit more, you know, interest and understanding of doing that. And it doesn't have to take much. It can be meeting someone and just sending a follow-up email saying, you know, I had a great time meeting you. Please keep me in the loop on things or just going up to people when you meet them and introducing yourself, just getting yourself out there. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, it's one of those things that as you do it, it gets easier, at least in my experience, like that first time is the hardest. But I've always just told myself because I'm, I'm actually, you know, I'm not a shy individual. So networking wasn't hard for me. I know it's really, it's really painfully hard for some people. It's scary. And I appreciate that. If there's one thing I always told myself, um, if it's helpful to anybody is what's the worst thing that happened is they don't talk to you. Exactly. They don't talk to you or they don't answer your phone call or they don't answer your email, but you know what? They're not going to do any of those things if you don't try. And if they don't, Hey, they're lost. Right. But it's so yeah. Anyway. And on that subject of networking, can you explain um, for people the difference between having an advocate and having a mentor or I guess by the same token, being an advocate or being a mentor? Yeah. So when I think of those um, in my career, in my experience, the mentors are the people that really work with you on a more day-to-day. They have a general interest in how you're doing, often because you doing well helps them do well. So mentoring usually is a somewhat reciprocal relationship. You, you know, you do a good job, your boss and whomever is like, okay, that works for me. But then it's taking it a little further and really trying to use that, not use that person, but um, work with that person to kind of make sure you're achieving the goals that you want, getting feedback from that person to help you achieve your goals. So that mentor is that person, again, is the more day-to-day. The mentor is the one that will probably be aware of your failures, and that's okay because they also are aware of your strengths. So you can have that relationship with them. I would say the advocate is the person who really is going to more look for your either how you advance, say, in an organization, or maybe how you achieve your personal goals, they probably don't have the direct day-to-day contact with you, but there's someone who knows of you and knows you well enough to know what you're trying to do and knows, you know, what you can accomplish and will go to bat for you, you know, is the kind of person, is a person that will say, yep, we should give her a try with this because, you know, she can do it, she's demonstrated that. And so they're willing to put themselves out a little bit more you're human. So they're going to know you have failures too, but you don't really tend to go into the day-to-day with your advocate. So you may not encounter them as much, but also very useful for the career. Wonderful for um, young people to hear about that, but for everybody, for all of us to remember that. Not only regardless of our age, to look for those people in our lives, but to be those people in young women's lives or young people's lives while they're trying to get their careers started or their projects started. But I like that. I like the differentiation um, that that you so um, clearly stated. And it's, it's so true. And something I think that a lot of uh, people think about when they're thinking about what they're going to do professionally, 
Would you say that STEM jobs overall offer financial security? Yes, wholeheartedly yes. Um, STEM jobs, you're going to be starting out most likely at the median income, if not above. And you figure you're a single person earning that, not a family of four earning that. So the opportunities that it's going to provide for you just financially from your income alone are great. Most of these jobs, if you're working in these fields, you're going to have benefits. You're also going to have things like paid time off. So if you get sick or if you have a family and someone gets sick, you don't have to do the explaining and begging for time off. You work with people who trust that you're responsible and you get your job done. Likewise, they give you a little leeway if you need to take a break and tend to your personal life. So I find that being in STEM is great financially, but then also provides a little bit of just kind of security and buffer in how you can execute your personal and professional life in a way that you're not hindered or um, penalized financially, you know, so you're not getting docked pay because you were sick or someone was sick and you couldn't make your job. So I, I do find that the people I work with, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm 40 and, you know, I, I bought a condo last year. That was a big accomplishment for me. But I work with folks and have worked with folks who in their 20s and 30s were in positions where they were buying homes. And, As we're hearing nowadays with home shortages and everything, you might be hearing a lot about just the equity you get with a home. For some people, that can be a great investment for the future. And I find having these jobs puts you in those positions where you can take advantage of those opportunities. Yeah, that's huge. And for all you young women out there listening, I mean, for all you young people, but especially for you young girls and young women, you know, make sure you always have your financial independence. It will keep you out of a lot of dicey situations. And it's so empowering. So empowering. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it doesn't mean you don't share it. It doesn't mean you're not in a relationship, but make sure you have your own, your own financial independence. And it sounds like this is a great career path to make that happen. Yeah. And so we've just had, you know, with COVID, people have had time to pause, really think about their lives, their careers, their jobs. I I literally, just before we got on to record this podcast, I read an article that in September, like record numbers of people left their jobs. Are you seeing or uh, have you heard that within, you know, the family of STEM jobs and degrees, are there more and more non-traditional students coming into STEM or into the workforce, a non-traditional, I, I would, I guess I could say students at school, but also maybe non-traditional people wanting to get hired at some of these companies. Yes, I have. Um, I know a few people who personally kind of made the switch, but also read an article a few weeks ago, I kind of, which alerted me to this, talking about women and how they, with COVID, were leaving their jobs and looking at STEM fields. And then I started talking to a few friends and was seeing, got some personal examples. But especially I think with work going remote, kind of people started to realize, like, I have some options and some flexibility here. And there are things I can do to maybe change the environment I'm working with or in to one that suits me better. Um, I know personally, I have a friend who she was kind of, you know, I mean, she she was in the arts and she was pursuing that right out of college and she had a degree in English and was kind of working. And then a few years ago, you know, kind of around COVID was like, you know what, this isn't working. And so she did an online, because at the start of COVID, she did an online um, tech coding boot camp. So I think it was like four to six months. She got herself up to speed with coding. She now works for a company. She's actually made three switches in her job in the last year because she got to one place and realized, wait, I could be making more and doing more. And she's been able to really advance herself. I think she more than like quadrupled what her salary used to be three years ago. And it's just been a great to see how she's been able to make that switch. And these programs are around. So that's just one example to pursue. And then even on the engineering side, I mean, there's different degrees you can get. There are, you know, there's like a four-year degree that's looking kind of at the coursework that we do. But then they have some that they call them kind of like technical degrees. And I think it means you get a little less math, but we do the same exact thing. And so that's also something, it might be a little shorter to complete those courses. And so these are also things that people can do to advance themselves. But yeah, through COVID and things changing, there was a lot of shakeup. And it's been great to see kind of women entering some new fields and just watching the earning potential of these women go up. 
Oh, 100%. 100%. And I love that you can you know, you can take classes online. So even if you're thinking you want to do that and you're not 100% sure, all colleges now are offering online classes. You could do some of, you know, you can do some of these um like certificate courses or these online courses like in coding or what have you and See what you know, see what you think. Oh, yeah. And yeah. I even add to that, there's a lot of free stuff out there, too. So if you're curious and you want to just, you know, dip your toe in the water and see what it's like, highly recommend just Googling, you know, free lecture and whatever the topic is, because you might find you might there might be a few courses from a college that are posted. And then you can really get a feeling for do I want to really get into this or maybe I want something similar to this, but not quite this. So it's been great how much stuff has come available in the last few years and kind of more accessible for a lot more folks. Yeah, it's changed the playing field. So when we look at the dark side of all this, it can be scary, but a lot of positive things I think are going to come out on the other end. Oh, yeah. People really taking stock and deciding what's important and what makes them happy, which when you're on the go all the time, it gets lost in the shuffle. Exactly. I think for some folks, having the chance to really pause and kind of say, okay, what's my plan B? And then really think through the plan B and not just quickly shift to a plan B. Yeah, absolutely. And some people just pausing is when they realize that they're not happy with what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Just taking the time to figure that out first, right? Oh, because yeah. if you're going all the time, you don't think about it. No. It's one no. foot in front of the other. Exactly. Totally. What is your favorite story, Rhonda, about your time volunteering with the Girl Scouts? I have so I actually have like two moments that come to mind when I think of this. Um, I would say my absolute favorite was I did a workshop for it was a car a mechanical engineering based workshop. So the girls were going to be making cars using cardboard and CDs as wheels, bottle caps as wheels, rubber band to power it, and it was a iterative process. So we started with the most basic design, and then they had to work through and make improvements. And I had thought through this, so I had set it up so that they would start and kind of really step through. And the girls started doing it, and they just took it in a direction that I I hadn't even considered. And they were making modifications and asking questions about things. And it was one of those, like, I never thought of this. But it was great because it was right in line with the workshop. So kind of for me was a reminder that sometimes you can get into thinking one way. And if you're not thinking broadly or out of the box, you can get onto one track. But I feel like I learned a few things from the girls that day, and we still were able to follow this sort of process, but they explored a few more things that I think got a lot out of it. So that was probably one of my favorite workshop moments with the girls, is just watching them take it and innovate and really just run with it. And then my other moment, not as major as that, but I grew up in New York City. I didn't have access to rivers and lakes. And I do a water workshop with the girls where we get these kits that are available from an organization that that works nationwide, and they send classroom kits so you can monitor your dissolved oxygen, pH, and temperature. And I had collected the water sample, and I brought it to the venue, and the girls were getting it, and there were tadpoles. And that was just like for me a little like, I don't think I'd ever really seen a tadpole before because I'm from New York City. And I see them in textbooks, but it was just one of those like, oh, that's really cool. That's, That's like a little baby frog. So... That was a neat moment. Sounds like it's a lot of fun and the, and the girls really get involved in that you're learning things too. And, and I, I want to take that question a little bit further. What do you feel you've learned personally by being a volunteer with the Girl Scouts? I would say I've learned that really little things can spark conversations. You know, you might I might ask a question about you know, their day or what they think about water. And then someone else might ask a question. And next thing you know, we're really delving into, you know, what does it mean for local like use and how can we prevent pollution and things like that. So it doesn't take a big thing to really have a really great conversation. And I also personally have learned how to really tailor things as needed on the fly. As my job as an engineer, being prepared is something that I'm used to, but Often we have set steps, so once I'm prepared, I do it, it's done. And with the Girl Scouts, they definitely keep me on my toes. Um, I've had to really learn, like with the car thing, I had to kind of think, okay, well, what else should I add in or is there anything I need to take away and really think about that? I remember I did a workshop on hula hooping once, and I walked in and, again, had my whole program. And then the girls, Sorry? (laughs) Without me? I know. Next one. (laughs) Next one. I think this one in the spring. And the girls walked in, and half of them could hula hoop. They actually, because they're very limber, were like, like kind of like hanging on and like hula hooping and doing all these things. And I remember just thinking like, 
okay, well, what are we going to do now? But then I quickly was like, okay, well, they can hula hoop. So that means we can go to the next level. And that group, we actually were able to, the whole, um, the point of the workshop was to build a hula hoop or make a hula hoop, decorate it, and then learn a few moves. And we actually were able to make the hula hoops and then learn a little dance routine. And so, and because they all had some experience, you know, they, I showed them a few new things, but then we made a routine and everyone kind of offered up some input, like, let's do this piece. Now let's do that. So it was a really neat collaborative and event and it wasn't how I thought it was going to go. But again, you know, went a little differently and was able to kind of tailor it. And so I think it worked for everyone, but um, that's, those are some of the lessons I've learned. And would you recommend volunteering with the Girl Scouts to other people? And if so, why? I would definitely recommend it. Um, first, it just feels great to kind of share what you know and feel like you're sort of helping the next generation understand a few things. I know when I was a kid, there was a lot that I didn't even know existed. And so I find kind of having that exposure is really great. But also personally, it gives you an opportunity to really dig into things. Like I've done a variety of workshops and on things that I find interesting, but because I'm giving a workshop, I've had to learn more and really dig into things and really try to understand so I can explain it. So personally, it's given, it's almost like I get these little opportunities to do these little research projects. Like, okay, I'm going to learn more about dying or this or like natural dying and, you know, this or that. And so, um, so I find it's personally fulfilling, but it does really feel great to share. And then to also, when you, when you're working with the girls and you can tell that they've enjoyed the opportunity and they're thankful, I mean, that also just feels really good too. There's something really special about working with younger people. And for me, for younger women and and girls, I, uh, yeah. And we'll make sure just that there are uh, links in the show notes to the Girl Scouts of Maine and then the Girl Scouts USA. So if you're somewhere listening and you're thinking you would like to volunteer or you have something you'd like to share with the girls, it could be an ongoing, um, you know, it could be ongoing volunteering or it could be one-off. So we'll make sure that that's all in the show notes. And Rhonda, before we close out, I have two questions I'd love to ask to every daughter of change that uh, I interview. What words of wisdom do you have for the other daughters of change out there listening? So I would say have confidence in yourself and don't let others' opinions kind of determine what your potential really is. It's easy to question ourselves and sometimes we might feel like we haven't you know, earned the right or we don't know enough, but trust that you do. Trust that everyone has a little bit about like things they don't understand. So you're not unique if you don't understand a little part of something but trust that you don't understand enough that you can move forward and do things. And then also, don't be afraid to speak up for yourself and ask for what you want and ask for it repeatedly. I know in the work that I do, one of the things that was very helpful for me was to get out onto construction sites and see things. I had to fight for that at multiple companies to get that opportunity. And finally, this place that I work at now, CB Mahar, afforded me that opportunity, but I had to really ask and ask and ask. And if I hadn't kept at it, I probably wouldn't have had that exposure and the opportunities that came with it. So, you know, be confident and ask for what you want and don't let others tell you what you can do. Beautiful. Well said. Very well said, you daughter of change you. (laughs) And how can the people listening connect and support you, STEM, and your volunteer work with the Girl Scouts? So I would say the... You know, supporting like Girl Scouts, like you mentioned, that's the one thing. But I think just in supporting kind of the work that I do, almost just getting involved and being the next generation that's going to come up behind, that's going to want to provide an audience for what us volunteers want to do, but also to sort of be there to demonstrate to, you know, parents and teachers and Congress people that there is a need for that and they want to do that. I mean, there are a few things that folks can do just in the state of Maine. There's a Maine State Science Fair that happens annually. There are groups like Girls Who Code and Maine Girls Collaborative Project, where if you're interested in STEM, these groups can connect you to organizations in your area or events that are happening that can just keep you informed. So just being informed, getting connected. If you are a young girl out there and you like coding, start a club. I met a young girl. I actually was on a panel with, um, I was like the oldest person I felt like the least accomplished. I was, it was like high school students to college. And I was like, why am I here? Because you guys are amazing. But this woman, young woman in high school didn't know if she liked coding or not, but she knew that she didn't understand it. 
So she started a group for girls so that they could understand what coding is. She's graduating in the next year. She might pursue a degree in computer science, but she kind of took that initiative. So I encourage everyone, you know, if you want to learn something, go out there and kind of start it up. And that's the kind of thing, that sort of movement that, you know, kind of accelerates. That's something that will support us folks that have been doing it for a number of years and also remind us that there's an interest that we can give back to. Really nice. I, I, those are all just really great suggestions. And you mentioned the Maine State Science Fair. Is that correct? Yes. Girls Who Code. And the third one was? The Maine Girls Collaborative Project. The Maine Girl. Okay. So I'm writing this down because I am going to make sure we have um, links to these uh, particular organizations in the show notes as well. And then Obviously, you know, if, I'm sure if you're in another state or in another part of the world, there are similar organizations. Like Girls Who Code is not just Maine, right? Girls Who Code is is that nationwide or worldwide? I think that might be nationwide. Um, I don't want to quote, but I think that might be. And I think the Maine Girls Collaborative Project is another one. I think when I looked it up, there's like a national one and then there's a Maine one. Oh, cool. So I'll see, I'm writing down, I'm making a little note that if there's a national one, that'll be in the show notes too. But that gives people a lot of, you know, a lot of different things that they can look at. So Rhonda, this has been really informative, really fun. I've learned a lot and I'm sure that everybody listening has. Um, Before we ride off into the sunset, is there anything else you'd like to add? I think I'm good. I think I've, yeah, no, I think I'm good. I think I've gotten out kind of everything that I had in my head there. With much gratitude and thanks, I want to recognize our sponsor for the Passion to Action campaign, the First National Bank, whose strong tradition of service extends beyond their walls by dedicating resources to identify and fund critical areas of community need in their market areas. This includes programs that enhance the quality of life, instill pride, and promote important initiatives including education and youth, health and human services, civic and community development, and culture and the arts. Thank you, First National Bank.